You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Good morning, everybody. How are you? It's good to see you. I feel like it's been forever. How long has it been, Nick? It's been a while, hasn't it? Six months, seven months. For those of you who don't know me, I'm uh, Lance O'Brien. Uh, my wife Jen and my family's here with me this morning. We used to be here pretty much every week until March of last year. We moved over to Cannonsburg, so now you're an hour away from us, so we don't get to see you so often, but uh, we are really blessed uh, to be here today. I've been looking forward to this. Again, for those of you who don't realize, this is my, our first full-time ministry position was here at Calvary back in the 1990s, and our first child was born uh, while we were here, and she is getting married in August. I am old. So time is flying uh, by, but uh, just such a blessing uh, and a privilege truly to be here this morning. I try to keep track of all the live streams. We pray for you guys. I meet with Nick pretty often and we talk. So uh, just such a blessing to be here this morning. And this month, we've been exploring the minor prophets, which the minor prophets don't really get preached on very often, I don't think, because they're kind of tucked in the back of the Old Testament. But we've been learning how their stories help shape ours, that history is not just something that happens, but it's our lives that release ink from the pen, that we are, even though we don't know it now or really see it in full detail, we are a part of history. And in the first week, Pastor Dave did such a great job. I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to preach on Hosea if you really have read the book of Hosea. And if you were asked to live Hosea's life, you'd be like, no, thank you. I'm going the other way. But just did such a great job talking about trusting God enough to give him the pen. Because again, if God had laid out Hosea's whole story for him at the beginning, I'm thinking he might have held that pen really, really tight. And then last week, Pastor Nick looked at, took us through the book of Haggai and the memory, that the memories of our past uh, are not the prophecy of our future, that everything that happens in our past does not dictate what our future is going to look like. Whether it's failure or success, we can keep writing history. Well, this morning, we actually want to shift our focus a little bit from us. Because the first couple messages have focused on our history. And this morning, we want to look a little bit more at God's history and how God writes history that, and, and, and I think this is true, isn't it easy to forget sometimes that he is the central figure of this whole story? A lot of times we want to put ourselves at the center of it all because we're selfish, right? We think of everything in the realm of how does this affect me? But this whole story is about him and this narrative. I don't know about you, but there's so much more to learn about God. There's so much more that we can learn from God. And as I was thinking about how to start the message this morning, I'd like to start with a question. But have you ever been doing something with someone and stood back as you're watching them do it and say, man, I could do that a lot better? Why are they doing it that way? They don't know what they're doing. 
I don't understand. I wish they would just get out of the way and let me do it. And if you're a husband here this morning and you have ever filled the dishwasher, you know what I'm talking about. Can I get an amen? I did, why? Because every time I fill it, it just gets shuffled and moved around by someone else. The dishwasher, right? You know what I'm talking about this morning. And if you've had children, everything they do, I go, do you even know what you're doing, right? And if you have a child that's over 12 years of age, they're looking at you and saying, do you even know what you're doing, right? Once they get to 12, it's like they know everything. Part of my job now that I do, I'm a trainer. I take people out. I show them what to do. And then I go back out and I watch them do it. And I hate it because it's like, that's not the way I would do it. That's not what I showed you when I was doing it the last time. It's just, man, sometimes it's frustrating to sit back and watch people do things. I mean, I was a pastor for 20 years. And I can tell you in my church, I had a lot better pastors than me. <laughs> Nick, do you know what I'm talking about? I figured you probably did. And the last couple years of Ben's quarterbacking career, how many of you were better quarterbacks than Ben, right? What is he doing? I could throw it better. I mean, there's a lot of armchair quarterbacks. And do we even want to delve into politics and government? That's what I thought. I mean, we just look back and sit back and like, what in the world are they doing? And the reality is, is we don't just approach all the other humans around with this thought process of I could do it better. I've found in my own life, and you probably have too, there's many times I've stood back and looked at what God was doing or what he wasn't doing. I could do that better. Ever thought that? Ever think that about our world about our lives, man, I'm not really sure God knows what he's doing. This morning, we want to explore the life of Habakkuk. Very small, obscure, minor prophet, doesn't get a lot of Sunday morning press generally, but I think his words are incredibly important to the world that we're living in right now, the history of our time. Before we jump into the text, let me just give you a backstory to the book of Habakkuk. He lived in the final decades of Israel, Israel's southern kingdom, and it was a time of great fear. I mean, it was the last days of their kingdom. There was in pending doom and gloom coming to them. Babylon, the most fierce nation in the world at that time, was knocking on the door. Destruction and calamity were coming. And Habakkuk was commissioned by God as a prophet to speak to the situation. Now, if you're familiar with prophets in the Old Testament, their job was to speak or to be the mouthpiece or the voice of God. They would speak to the people on behalf of God. Well, Habakkuk is a unique prophet because in his book, there's literally not one word spoken to the people. 56 verses, three chapters of his personal conversation 
with God. We're getting an inside view. Listen, sometimes the prophets come forth and we're kind of like, man, I wonder what that conversation with God looked like, right? You know, if this is what they're bringing. This morning, we're getting a bird's eye view from Habakkuk into this conversation that he's having with God. And the truth is, it's not a pretty one. Habakkuk the prophet is not declaring his undying praise to God in all of these verses. He's actually talking to God about his great struggle. And his great struggle is believing that God is good when there's so much evil and tragedy in the world. We're going to look at him pour out multiple complaints to God and God respond to his complaints about how can you really say you're a good and a just God with the way things are going in our world. Can you relate? And the interesting thing about this book is he's the only prophet to write in the style of the Psalms. And if you're familiar with the Psalms, the Psalms were poems, right? But they weren't always pretty poems, right? They weren't the ones that you stick on the wall, roses are red, violets are blue, blah, 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 you know, whatever, right? They weren't happy poems. Some of the poems of the Psalms were actually called Psalms of Lament. Psalms of Lament. A lament is literally lodging a complaint, a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. So this book, these three chapters are Habakkuk pouring out his sorrow and his grief about the world that he's living in and his frustration with God about what he's not doing or how he is doing things. He's drawing attention to all the suffering and chaos in the world. But he's not just drawing attention to it. He's making a demand. He's demanding that God not just listen to him, but God do something about it. God, you are not handling things in the world correctly. Let me give you a hand. And specifically two complaints he pours out to God. And let's look at them and God's response. So here it is, Habakkuk's first complaint, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. And as we see him opening this conversation with God, he's frustrated at the fact that everywhere he looks, he sees injustice and that justice is being 
perverted. Life in Israel has become horrible. God is neglected. His truth, the Torah, is neglected. They're moving away from long-standing values uh, that held the country. They're moving away from morality. It's resulted in all kinds of violence, uh, and there is chaos in the country. But to make matters worse, it's all being tolerated and endorsed by Israel's leaders. The leaders are leading them down this path. Sound familiar? The people sworn to protect the people are idly standing by watching it happen. And as you read these opening verses, you can sense the angst his anger and his fright. How long do I have to call out to you, God? How many times do I have to have this conversation with you? He's begging, Habakkuk is begging God to do something. But nothing seems to change. In Habakkuk's mind, God is asleep at the wheel. But rest assured, God is not silent, and he responds to Habakkuk's complaint. Here's his first response, verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I mean, if I'm Habakkuk and I'm listening to this, I'm getting excited, right? Because this is the type of words that God's saying, listen, I'm getting ready to spring into action and I'm gonna do things. If When I tell you, you're not gonna believe, you're gonna be like, what? You're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. So Habakkuk, get ready, eyes wide open. I'm gonna amaze you, blow your socks off. Angst turns to anticipation. I'm sure he's thinking Red Sea, Jericho walls, Goliath. He's thinking, man, God's really just going to rip through the Babylonians. He's going to rescue his people from these corrupt leaders. Verse 6, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings that are not their own. They are feared and dreaded by people. They are a law of themselves, and they promote their own honor. God's response, Habakkuk, I'm very aware of all the injustice that's being perpetrated by the nation's leaders and by Israel's leaders. I see it. I'm upset about it. Guess what? I'm going to do something so amazing. You'll never believe it. I'm going to raise up a ruthless nation. A nation of Babylonians. And they're going to bring judgment and justice on my people. God is going to use this terrifying empire to devour Israel because of their wickedness. Think about that for a minute. God is going to judge his holy people by using 
unholy people. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? They're not just ungodly. They're downright ruthless. Verse 8, their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalrys gallop headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. They all come intent on what? Violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. They sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. This is God's response to Habakkuk's complaint about rampant wickedness and the leadership of his own country. I'm going to do something you would never believe. And I bet they didn't, did they? I'm going to raise up people even more wicked than you and allow them to carry out my judgment. And if I'm Habakkuk, I'm like, yeah, that wasn't really the answer I was looking for. Right? I was like, you're right, God. I don't believe that. Can we start over again? Let me rephrase my first complaint so maybe we can get a different response here. He's frustrated. You are the God of justice. And you're going to greet injustice with more injustice? Angst that turns to anticipation now becomes accusation. And if he was really smart, I mean, again, if it was me, I'd try to put myself in the story. I'd be like, yeah, I'm done with this conversation. This didn't go very well, right? I'm moving on. You do your thing, God. But Habakkuk's not like that. He doesn't shut up. Uh, he, he, he couldn't even fathom what God was thinking of doing. Habakkuk had a real problem with God's answer. And honestly, I do too. Maybe you do. So here's Habakkuk's second complaint. Lord, are you not from everlasting? Gotta love it, right? It's a question. God, aren't you like from forever? Haven't you always been around? My God, he's getting the butter out, isn't he right now? My God, the Holy One, you will never die. It's a question. Are you not from everlasting? God, you've been around a while, haven't you? You should know better than this. This isn't the way this is supposed to work. This isn't the way you're supposed to do things. And Habakkuk is bewildered. He's puzzled. He's conflicted. He's confused. You, you can just feel the inner turmoil bubbling up. What are you thinking, God? What are you doing? And, and I think if we were really honest, we can say we really relate to this. Like there's a lot of times I step back and I look at either my life or things happening in our world and we feel this very same thing. God, what are you doing? I, I wouldn't do it that way. Babylon is even worse. They're more corrupt. They're more violent. They treat people like trash. And he continues, you, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock. What's he saying there? You're the one that's supposed to protect me. 
and you've ordained them to punish? Your eyes, God, they're too pure to even look at evil. You cannot tolerate long-doing. Don't you feel the conflict in him building as this conversation is going on? Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And the inner conflict is just so real. How can you, a good, holy God, use unholy means and unholy messengers to accomplish your purposes? And really, if we're honest, Habakkuk is questioning God's integrity. He's coming after the integrity of God. He's challenging his ways. He's pushing back. He demands an explanation. Fast forward to chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk speaking. I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. He goes all military right here on God. Because if you study these in the original language, these are military terms. I'm going to climb up to my watchtower. I'm going to stand at my guard post. There I'll wait and see what the Lord says and how he's going to answer my complaint. God, I'm not just going to stand by and watch you allow this. I'm not going to just stand by and watch this happen. I'm going to stand, watch. I'm going to take my post. If you're not going to protect my people, your people, if you're not going to do the right thing, then I will. And Habakkuk, in essence, says, I'm not coming off this wall. I'm not ending this watch until I get an answer and one that's better than the last one. God's second response, verse 2. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. God's kind of like, yo, Habakkuk, settle down a little bit. Grab a seat. Pull up a table. Grab some tablets. I'm going to tell you some stuff. Write it down. Write down what you see in here because I want you to communicate it clearly. I want the next generation and the generation after. This isn't just for Israel now and Babylon now. This is for everyone. I want runners uh, to be able to take this message clearly down through all the parts of history so people don't misunderstand who I am. If the vision is slow, wait for it. Be patient for it. He says, listen, carry this message Habakkuk through history so that you and others, that's us, that think like us, won't be so confused and conflicted about how God does things. It's a vision for an appointed time 
It's going to come really slow. It didn't happen then, and it might not be happening now, but it's eventually going to happen. So what is this divine promise? What is this divine vision? Well, we don't have time to look at all the verses right this morning. Just read chapter 2 later today, but I'll give you an idea of what's going on here. Basically, what God says is, listen, Habakkuk, there's always going to be wicked people. There's always going to be wicked governments. There's always going to be wicked nations. As soon as one nation falls, another one's going to rise. And sometimes I'm going to use that one that's rising to punish that one that's going to fall. There's going to be a never-ending cycle of darkness and violence and corrupt leaders. The whole second chapter, he actually actually gives five characteristics in this chapter of nations like this. But first five kind of sums it up. Wealth is treacherous and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as a grave and like death they are never satisfied. In their greed they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many people. At the end of it he says, listen people are just greedy. People are power hungry. People are money hungry. They treat other people like gar- there's always going to be people like this Habakkuk. Wicked leaders, wicked nations. And the first part of his promise is, sometimes I will use those wicked people and those wicked nations and those wicked leaders to accomplish my goals. Sometimes I will write history through their wickedness. And again, I don't know about you, but that's really hard to like That's really hard to wrap my mind around. Now, don't misunderstand. It's not an endorsement of their deeds. It doesn't mean that God approves, but God knows that there is rampant wickedness in this world, and sometimes he allows nations to rise up. So what is the divine promise? If that's the first part of the promise, listen, this is just the cycle. There's going to be giant. What's the second part? The second part means that eventually all of those wicked nations and all of those leaders, if we could go back to verse 3, it says, wait patiently for it. It might take a long time, but in the end, in the end, I will have the final say. It's really hard to think that God could be using people I don't respect that people I don't believe in, that people I don't agree with, that people I don't trust to carry out his purposes. Habakkuk, I'm going to raise up Babylon to judge Israel. I'm going to write them into the story, but ultimately I will destroy everything that rises up against who I am. And you see, God's answer to Habakkuk is God's answer to us today. Sometimes I use wicked people to write my story, but in the end, I will destroy all wickedness. And honestly, I am just like Habakkuk. I absolutely 100% as sure as I'm standing here right now, I struggle with this answer. I'm frustrated with this answer. Every year, some years I do a little better than others, I try to read through or listen through the entire Bible. Last fall, early fall, I started to get into the Minor Prophets, and this book just started 
marinating and I kind of stalled, if I'm being honest with you. I didn't follow the daily path, right? So it's February, whatever, and I'm finishing Revelation tomorrow, just so you know. But I, I got stuck. I got stuck because I was like, I'm really struggling with this answer. Like, how? How can a good God really do this? I don't like this answer. I look at everything that I see going on in our world, and I'm not just talking about the last 12 months. I'm talking about the four years before that, and I'm talking about the eight years before that. I'm not just talking in the microcosm of where we are at this moment of time. I'm talking about the prevailing wickedness that has been building in our nation, a nation that is walking away from God and watching him write history through this wickedness. And I've been wrestling with this for months. All the newspaper articles, the social media posts, the stinking talking heads that I just want to be like, go away somewhere, will you? In Jesus' name. The water cooler. I fully understand Habakkuk's questions and complaint. I can relate to his angst and his anger. I struggle with God's responses. I don't think that he's doing it right sometimes. But one night, I got some peace on this whole thing. It's kind of funny. I went home for Christmas for the first time since COVID hit to spend some time with my family. All my family is from New York. And one night, I don't know what night it was, I couldn't sleep. So I'm laying on the bed and I'm just scrolling through Facebook and other stuff. And I see a post that comes up. And the post is from the Bible college that I attended when I initially started studying for the ministry. And the post was of a sermon. And the person that was preaching the sermon was a gentleman named Dennis Marquardt who happened to be the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God for Northern New England District when I was pastoring and we were pastoring up in Maine and New Hampshire years ago. So I was like, hey, it's one o'clock in the morning. I can't sleep. I ain't got anything better to do. Kind of like last night at one o'clock in the morning, but that's a whole nother story. I clicked on it. And the first words hit me. He said this, or he asked this. I love preachers who start sermons with questions. I love it. What is the biggest challenge facing the church in America today? What is the greatest challenge facing the church in America today? And like all good speakers, he just stopped talking. And he, you're probably doing what I was doing when I was laying in bed at one o'clock. I started thinking of my answer. What is the greatest struggle or challenge facing the church in America today? And he just paused and he let it hang there. And then he said this very succinctly. The greatest challenge facing the church in America today is a return to biblical authority. And it just was like. Because see, when we talk about or think about returning to biblical authority, we start thinking about issues of morality or giving or forgiveness. And, you know, because the great thing about the Bible, if you haven't noticed, is it's like opposite of you. Right? I don't know if you've noticed that in reading it, but it's just different from you. 
And it's different for me because we're here and God's out here somewhere, right? And it's just different. But when I heard him say that, a return to biblical authority, I started asking myself, do I really trust God? Do I really trust God? Like Christians, I mean, Christianese is, yeah, I'm just believing God. I, I'm trusting God. I, I have faith in God. But like, do we really, really trust God? Do we trust in the sovereignty, sovereignty of God? That's a word we don't hear in church much more. That he is sovereign over all things, that he sees everything outside of how we see things. The prophet Isaiah talked about how his ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are, are what? They're so much higher than the way we look at life and the lens that we look through. And that's the problem. That's the problem with the Bible, is it challenges the way we think. It calls into question our motives and our feelings. It affects the way we live. And I do think the biggest challenge facing the church in America today is a return to biblical authority that we really believe who God says he is and what he's going to do according to the word of God. Because when you step back from this whole conversation with a backlooking God, it's a lot easier to accept it if you actually believe in biblical authority and you trust. God doesn't mean I like it. Now, but my job isn't to like it. My job is to let God change me. My job and your job isn't to always make the rules. It's to let God do his sovereign work in our lives. And this is what he says, and we're almost done. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. He, he marries two things here. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. He basically says, look at wicked people. Look at their lives. Look at what happens. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. We hear it another way, right? The just shall live by the, the just shall live by faith. They're going to trust God. They're going to believe in God. They're going to resist their own way. They're not going to rest in their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own ideas, their own common sense. They're going to allow God and his ways to challenge that. Listen, I don't always understand what he is writing, but I do trust the writer that God is the centerpiece of the story. And when we can't write and when we don't understand what's being written, we need to push back and watch him write not as critics, but as children. People of faith. As the worship team is coming, as we come to a close, 
It's a very interesting book because the first two chapters are this back and forth between Habakkuk and God. Complaint, response, complaint, response. And then we get to chapter 3. And chapter 3, guess what it is? The whole chapter. It's a prayer. All 19 verses are a prayer. Habakkuk praying to God after this interchange. Verse 1, this prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again. As you did in years gone by, and in your anger, man, what a great verse. In your anger, remember your mercy. Verse 17, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines and even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and they're barren and even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. He says, even though everything is just totally out of whack, nothing is going according to the natural order. It's not working the way that it's supposed to. Verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Do you see a different attitude in Habakkuk from chapter 1 and 2? See, listen, if you're going to be a Christian, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict between you and him. There, it's just, it's, it's going to happen. Because there's such a divide between who he is and who we are. But sometimes we need these conversations of complaint. So we can get to know God better so we can start to understand him. And even when we don't, we can lean into the fact that the just, they live by faith. They trust God, even when it doesn't seem right or look right. So can we just all close our eyes for a moment, just as the worship team thinks. And one of the things I love that Pastor Nick does when he does a salvation call is he says, this is the beginning of a conversation with God. Well, I want to challenge you this morning because one of the things that happens to us as Christians, as things begin to happen and we don't understand what God is doing, it's easy to stop having conversations with God. And right now, maybe this whole struggle he was having with the nation, that's not you today. Because everything in your life is blowing up. You can't even think about everything else that's happening out there. But can I just encourage you this morning, if you have things going on in your life and you don't understand what God is doing or you don't, doesn't seem like he's doing anything, it's okay to pour out your lament. Can I just encourage you, even right now as we're sitting, no one needs to hear your words, but can you just start 
pouring out your honesty to God. Lord, I don't understand what you're doing in my family. I don't understand why you allowed this to happen. I don't know why things aren't changing. I'm praying so hard. I'm trying so hard and nothing is different. Just begin to have that conversation with God about where your angst is and where your frustration is and where you're just reaching critical mass. God, would you just hear our hearts this morning? Would you just hear our silent prayers? They don't have to be spoken to be powerful. God, just hear our hearts this morning. God, do what only you can do in our hearts. Help us to trust you. God, just like you told Habakkuk, help us to be patient. Though the vision, though what you're going to do is tearing, it's taking longer than you, we want it to, God, help us. God, take our feet beyond the borders of what we see and feel right now. Can we stand together and sing this song? This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.